I'm excited to share this interview with uh, this lawyer who is representing someone suing Caesar Milan, aka the dog whisperer. But first, I just wanted to quickly answer a dog training question that came in from a long time School for the Dogs client, Elizabeth Ramirez, who worked with us years ago in New York City with her French bulldog Wonton and has since moved to DC and recently got a new French bulldog puppy named Hoagie. Elizabeth wrote me, I'm currently living in a one bedroom by myself. What's the best way to train Hoagie in the same space where Wonton is hanging out? Juan gets very agitated if I'm with Hoagie in a separate space like the bedroom, even if she gets treats. Really good question. And my brief answer is uh, try training them both at the same time. Uh, This is going to help Wonton feel good about Hoagie's existence uh, because Wonton's going to be part of the action. One way to do that is to have them both in crates, crates right next to each other. Actually, I think training dogs right next to each other in crates is also a good way to um, help uh, stave off any kind of dog-dog resource guarding. Um, You can click one of them for doing something as simple as a hand touch. You could teach click both of them and click and treat both of them for doing something as simple as a hand touch, uh, treats, etc. And it's just a lot easier to manage if you're working with two dogs in crates. Um, I often mention on the podcast, the crate that we sell at storeforthedogs.com, which is the Revol. Um, Big fan of it for so many reasons, but one reason I really like it is the top has a hatch that opens up, uh, which makes it really easy to deliver treats uh, directly from the top without having to uh, get your fingers in um, the sides of the crate or anything else. Um, If doing that is too much, you could at least um, stick uh, like the groove, which is um, something, a, a toy that you can stick in the side of the Revol and put peanut butter on it, let, um, one of them lick off that while you're training the other one and then switch. You can also use a treat and train, which is a remote controlled treat dispensing advice that I like to use a lot um, for a variety of reasons. I've also talked about it before on the podcast. Uh, We also sell that. You can get it at Store for the Dogs or we have a short link, which is um, schoolforthedogs.com slash tt for treat and train and um, you can even sit it on top of the crate uh, so that the treats will fall directly into the crate through that opening like the the one like the Revol crate has um, and uh, push that button to dispense treats um, into the crate while you're working with the other dog in the other crate or outside of the crate I guess but again um, I think keeping both dogs in crates while training 
uh, for some things can be useful. It's a good way to get the dog feeling good about being in the crate. It's going to help you control both the dogs a little bit better. You truly have a captive audience when you're training a dog in a crate. So if you're working on teaching uh, something like sit or down, where you can really just wait to capture the behavior, um, a crate is a good way to go. Anyway, hope that helps Elizabeth. Elizabeth also just bought our good dog training course, which you can get at schoolforthedogs.com slash courses. Uh, and I hope that will help her as well. Um, if you go through our um, masterclass, uh, which you can access at anniegrossman.com slash masterclass, uh, we currently have an offer there where you get um, a 30-minute uh, virtual session with one of our trainers when you buy the course. You can learn learn more about it um, if you uh, go through the masterclass, which is totally free. Okay, uh, and now on to the rest of the episode. If you have a dog training question you would like to have answered on the podcast, I will try to get to it. You can submit it at schoolforthedogs.com slash Q&A. My name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. I'm the owner and co-founder of School for the Dogs, a dog training center located in Manhattan's East Village. School, school for the dogs, for the dogs. School, school for the dogs, for the dogs. On this podcast, I talk about dog training, interview industry experts, discuss pet trends, answer questions, and try to communicate my love for all things related to behavioral science. Thanks a lot for listening. I think this podcast will help make you the best possible human best friend any dog could ask for. My name is Brian Addisman. I am an attorney in California, and I do litigation, so mostly like civil lawsuits and all different types of litigation, really. I was practicing at a, a big law firm here in Los Angeles for about five years, and then uh, just recently sort of went off on my own, and so I have my own firm. And then I also practice with um, sort of a, a partner, you could say, um, a, a business you know, lawyer, law partner named Omar Qureshi, and he has his own firm called Qureshi Law, and we do you know, all different types of litigation and some of those involve dog bite cases where we represent plaintiffs who have been injured and um, and you have yeah, your own that's... you have your own dog right i do yeah her name is cash she's a, a beautiful little pug i've had her since she was i think like six weeks old and now she's she's about four years old now and she's she's great i love and dogs i'm curious have you done any training with with cash she's pretty she's been she's a naturally extremely well-behaved dog and she's very food motivated as i think most pugs are so training her has been really easy I, I did watch some youtube videos when she was a puppy to sort of teach her you know how to potty train and not pull on a leash but she hasn't required too much training she knows a few tricks she knows how to sit um she knows down she knows leave it um, and I brought her also to some training sessions at Petco, 
And I thought it was going to be one of those things where I could just pay them and drop her off and come (laughs) back and she would know every trick. And they're like, no, you have to be here. It's like mostly teaching you how to train her. And, you know, I was just like, oh man, it's not what I signed up for. But (laughs) I attended a few of those and, and yeah, she's just an amazingly well-behaved dog. Naturally. She's really, really great and really smart too. I mean, she pretty much just understood potty training pretty much just naturally. I mean, it only took like a week or two and she started to, to understand she couldn't go to the bathroom and in the house and stuff. And so, yeah, she's really great. So it sounds like you, like most people never gave dog training a whole lot of thought probably until uh, rather until you got a dog. But even then it sounds like it wasn't something that took up much brain space for you. Yeah, it's always been one of those things that I've wished I've had more time to do. Like, there's a million tricks I wish I could teach her how to do. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it is something that I definitely only started learning about recently. And, you know, I grew up with dogs my whole childhood. I've always had a dog, you know, lots of family dogs. And Cash, my, my current dog, she's the only dog I've ever had that can be off leash, can be around other dogs. Um, and I think that's because I got her as a puppy. I don't know, you could probably tell me a lot more about this. All of our other dogs we got from the pound. So it was really hard to, you know, let them run around outside unless it was fenced in. And anytime there were other dogs, they'd get really aggressive. But um, with Cash, she's like the most timid, submissive dog of all time. Like if she sees a dog across the street, she'll get down on her stomach and like roll over. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, dog training definitely is something that I'm only recently sort of started learning about. So yeah, I, I contacted you and Omar because I wanted to learn more about this particular case that you're, you're working on, um, which I honestly, I don't know a whole lot more than what, you know, I maybe read on yahoo.com or TMZ. (laughs) So, um, I'm hoping you can kind of walk me through, um, Walk me through this case that, um, you know, interests me as, as a dog trainer. Um, and, and certainly I know as a lawyer, there's stuff you can't talk about, but I, I'd love to know what you can talk about. So yeah, can you maybe talk about how this case came to you and then, and then tell me a little bit about the, the public, the, the details that are publicly available. Sure. Yeah. And this case, um, it involves Caesar Milan, the, the famous dog whisperer, which is, I think, why it's getting most of the the media attention that it's gotten. Uh, But we represent uh, a young woman named Lydia Matisse, and she was a star gymnast. She was uh, practicing gymnastics at a level 10 in in high school, which is the highest level in the USA Gymnastics Junior Olympics program. And she was getting recruited by a bunch of different universities for gymnastics, including, you know, an Ivy League university, uh, University of Pennsylvania. And in the middle of her training to become this amazing gymnast, um, she was actually attacked by Caesar Milan's dog named Junior, uh, who I believe is a, a pit bull. Sort of, I think he's recently the dog. I think recently passed away, but it was sort of Caesar Milan's pride and joy dog. So I kind of treated him as a as a child. Um, and <clears throat> after the attack, she hasn't been the same she no longer can do gymnastics she was severely injured um now how (laughs) how exactly did she encounter junior how did that happen 
Yeah, that's a good question. So Lydia's mom actually worked for Caesar Milan. And so she was just was visiting, she like a, a uh, producer or an assistant or what, was she a dog no, trainer? She, she worked sort of in the back and she was she was um, working in the I, I believe the business and legal affairs office for Caesar Milan and his company. And um, so yeah, so she was visiting her mom at Caesar Milan's office. And when she went to to visit her, Junior was roaming the halls and wasn't being restrained by anyone. And uh, I think there were a, a bunch of other dogs as well. And, you know, maybe riled up, maybe felt threatened. The exact, the exact circumstances are not entirely clear. But for whatever reason, uh, when Junior saw our client, he uh, attacked. And was Caesar Milan there when this happened? Um, it's not clear exactly where he was at, at that time. Although I, I have seen... I think when uh, Junior first passed away, he posted a, a video on YouTube talking about Junior, and he mentioned—I I don't want to put words in his mouth, so don't don't quote me on this—but if I recall, he mentioned something like he'd only been away from Junior like two times in the entire time that he had Junior. So uh, I believe his claim is that he wasn't there at the time, but um, you know, we, we're obviously going to try to prove and think we have. Uh, a lot of evidence to suggest that he was was in fact there but but either way because junior was his dog he at the end of the day is going to be responsible for you know what junior does were there people who who witnessed what happened beyond uh, lydia sure yeah th there were other people uh other employees who were present during the uh during the incident so there are witnesses that can corroborate exactly what what happened and sort of the details of the attack so she was severely, severely attacked, I guess, what, bitten all over her body? Or it was it yeah. puncture wounds then that she suffered? Exactly. There were puncture wounds on her leg. And, um, you know, when you get a, that type of injury, um, it can affect like the, the muscles under, under the, the skin. And basically the bite just caused some deep puncture wounds and lacerations and she was immediately taken to the emergency room after it happened. Um, and she's been doing all sorts of physical therapy and other things to try to, to remedy the injuries she suffered. But again, I mean, um, the, the outlook isn't looking great in terms of her getting back into gymnastics anytime soon. And that was four years ago that it happened? It was in August 2017. Now, was there any attempt by... Um, Caesar Milan and I guess whatever what is his organ I mean his organization is called what the Caesar Milan or dog psychology Caesar's way okay did they That's try his company. And, did they try and settle this out of court uh, we're not as lawyers we're not really allowed to discuss anything dealing with settlement but I, I can definitely tell you that it is not settled uh, as of yet and um, you know as her lawyers were, were ready to take it to trial uh, obviously, litigation, it's a really long process and and anything can happen. Um, but we're in the middle of that process and, and certainly anticipate taking it to trial and, and ready to take it to trial. Now, what do you say to someone who says, how could this be? He's Caesar Milan. He's the dog whisperer. He's supposed to have a unique ability to deal with even difficult dogs. I mean, isn't there sort of like a isn't there cognitive dissonance 
how could this how could this <laughs> expert the best known dog trainer in the world have a dog that could so severely injure a young girl right <clears throat> you know i mean i think that's partially one of the reasons why these cases against caesar Wong get so much attention is when you portray yourself as an expert and then something goes wrong like this i think it's the outrage that that comes from that is uh especially especially pronounced because of that cognitive dissonance you just mentioned and and um sort of the, the hypocrisy i think that's behind it but in terms of you know i you you could probably say much more than i could about you know the limitations on dog training and the propensity for viciousness that certain breeds of dogs have over others and, and things of that nature so generally in a situation that we're in now with litigation what we would do for to answer those types of questions that you know we believe any reasonable juror would have is we would hire um an expert a dog expert to opine on those types of things as to you know who's at fault how much fault things that could have been done to prevent this and um whether it was completely unpreventable and those are the things that a dog expert would actually talk about at trial and we would hire our expert. Uh, I would imagine he would hire an expert himself and, you know, both sides would get their day in court to try to convince the jury as to just how preventable this was or was not. Is there any conversation about his style of training then? Because, I mean, just when you say the word expert, the first thing I think of is that, you know, plenty of people consider Caesar Milan an expert, but he has no formal degrees or even certifications that are widely recognized by, um, you know, independent third-party certification-giving organizations. Right, yeah. And I'd imagine, you know, at trial, those types of questions will definitely be at issue and will be things that uh, I think both sides expert will probably opine about, especially if, you know, if his claim is that he trained Junior using his techniques, which I, I imagine will be his claim, then that will definitely become a question that will be explored at trial. And, um, you know, we'll, we will have an expert that will give uh, our expert's opinion. And again, I assume, I don't think he'll testify as his own expert, although that would be a really <laughs> interesting uh, legal situation I haven't seen before. But I imagine he probably will hire some some other expert to talk about how you know, his, his training methods are completely above board. But, but yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time that Caesar Milan has been sued for uh, similar type types of attacks. Uh, I don't think that the previous attacks involved Junior per se, but, you know, just <clears throat> from what I've seen that's been publicly reported, it looks like in 2006 there were two lawsuits filed against him, two separate lawsuits that were filed, I think, within a week of one another. And the first lawsuit uh, looks like it invo involved a former publicist and her partner. And in that suit, the couple claimed that they came up with the name of the dog whisperer while, um, so I guess that, that wasn't really involving a dog attack. But then later that week, um, there was a, another lawsuit filed in 2006 that did involve uh, a dog attack. And in that suit, it was a producer who filed suit against him a producer uh, of his show? I don't believe so. I think it was a producer. Uh, I, I don't believe it was a producer of his show, but I'm actually not entirely sure. Um, because, you know, 
we don't get like all of these court documents generally just just by way of filing suit against him but but uh so yeah i i don't think i don't have all the details but i don't think it was a producer of his show i think it was a different show but in that case uh what the producer claimed in the lawsuit was that caesar milan's training facility uh subjected um the producer's five-year-old labrador retriever named gator to inhumane treatment and um in that lawsuit it was alleged that gator had to be rushed to the vet just hours after being left with staff at milan center and that the dog was covered with bruises and gasping for breath in an oxygen tent after being forced to run on a treadmill um and so that that was a an interesting case i'm not sure exactly how it resolved i would imagine it probably settled out of court because it's just generally very very rare for cases to actually go to trial and when they do especially when they're against uh high profile people like caesar milan they usually get a lot of press so i'd imagine that probably settled um but then again in february of 2015 he was sued by a critical care nurse in florida uh, who claimed that she was attacked by a vicious pit bull that had been prematurely released from milan's dog training center and in that lawsuit, she claimed that she suffered disfiguring open wounds, deep muscle and tendon lacerations, bone fractures from the attack that she experienced on September 23rd, 2014. And um, in that lawsuit, she claimed that just six days after the dog had been released from the dog psychology center that Cesar Milan runs, uh, that she was attacked and that the dog was released prematurely and that she suffered damages of you know, loss of feeling and function in her left hand um, and a bunch of really, really horrible stuff. And I know that in that case, there was some public comments made by uh, the Dog Psychology Center. Um, a spokesperson said that Milan never had any contact with the dog and never trained the animal. Um, and so I don't think there was any sort of admission of wrongdoing or any responsibility or accountability that they took for, for that incident based on what I've seen. And, you know, in our case, similarly, I think they just recently released a public statement that essentially claimed, you know, this case is a shakedown and our clients only interested in money and it just really couldn't be farther from the truth. And well, are they, are they denying that this attack happened at all? So they have, they've alleged several different defenses in this case, which is their right. It's pretty common for, um, for a defendant to allege sort of alternate, alternative theories of what happened. So, uh, but based on what I've seen, it seems like their major defense is not to deny that it happened, but, um, you know, I, the defense that got most widely reported on was their defense that our client essentially assumed the risk of uh, being attacked by you know, entering the building and being around Junior, that our client somehow should have known that she could be attacked. That sounds like a sort of crazy, uh, it sounds sort of crazy. I mean, it sounds to me like if the girl was going to go visit her mother who worked for the world's most famous dog trainer. Um, a, you don't assume risk by going into somebody's office, no matter whose whose office it is. It's not like assuming the risk of going skydiving or something. <laughs> right. 
be. I mean, if if you expect anyone to have dogs who are going to behave well around strangers, you would be um, a famous dog trainer. But, so what's their other defense that they're claiming? Um, you know, they, they, we, we don't really find out exactly uh, ba basically what happens in California um, most often when a lawsuit's filed is parties, the defense will just throw the kitchen sink in terms of defenses and just make every possible conceivable defense that could even theoretically make sense. And then oftentimes even a bunch that don't. And so we don't know exactly, you know, what defense they're going to go with at trial at this point. But um, so it, it's unclear exactly what their leading defense will be. But again, that, that assumption of the risk defense is the one that's been definitely most widely reported. And when Caesar Milan or his spokespeople gave a comment um, to the press about this case, they didn't, it didn't seem like they were wavering from that defense or that, you know, they didn't make any comment like, that's not our defense. We actually think this. So, you know, we think mm -hmm. it's pretty safe to assume that we'll probably see something like that at trial. Where does Queen Latifah fit into all of this? Yeah, that's another reason I think this case got some press. So in the complaint, um, we explain that previously uh, Junior had attacked Queen Latifah's dog and, and killed Queen Latifah's dog, unfortunately. Uh, and then Caesar Milan basically covered that whole thing up, claiming that um, Queen Latifah's dog was uh, struck by a car. And that's what he told Queen Latifah and instructed his employees basically to say as well. And that was something that we uncovered through our investigation before we filed this lawsuit. Basically, you know, as lawyers, we have a duty to investigate any potential case that we're going to file in court. And, you know, we're also considered officers of the court and have an obligation to make sure that any claims we make are supported by evidence and that they're not frivolous and that they're not untrue. And so generally speaking, with any case before we draft and file a complaint, we'll investigate the surrounding circumstances. And, you know, that can entail a bunch of different things up to hiring private investigators or um, uh, interviewing witnesses, talking with people who, you know, were around the, the scene of the incident at that time. And that was something that we uncovered and definitely corroborated with with lots of evidence. And um, it's currently, it's something that they deny and that Caesar Milan uh, has denied ever since the, the story broke. But I can assure you that I've seen the evidence and we feel very confident when in making that claim that that did in fact happen. Um, and it's relevant because, you know, in California under the laws involving dog bites, one of the things that you sometimes have to show is that the dog had a propensity for violence and that it's something that the owner of the dog either knew or should have known. And so in this case, it's highly relevant that Caesar Milan's dog junior had previously attacked other dogs or other people, anything of that nature just shows that he was basically on notice that this dog had propensities to be violent. And so, at that point, the onus is on him to take the proper precautions to make sure that the dog doesn't attack any other animal or any other human. And in this case, those precautions were very clearly not taken. 
Well, how could that have happened and it never got reported and there was no consequence for him or the dog? So I can't get into too much details, but all I can say is there are many ways you can sort of bury a story if you have enough money and enough lawyers and, you know, there are NDAs that can be signed. There are people that can be paid to be silent or to change their story of events. And, um, you know, Cesar Milan is a very powerful person with deep pockets and uh, motivation to not let something like that ruin his career. So it's possible Queen Latifah may have gotten a large check in order to not go public with this story, for example? Um, well, that's possible. I, I don't think that's what happened here. I think Queen Latifah honestly had no idea that this happened and that nobody uh, who knew that this uh, incident happened felt comfortable speaking out about it. I think that's more hmm. what happened in this case. But, um, you know, uh, and I don't know, honestly, if... Queen Latifah, I don't think she's made any sort of public comment about this since it broke, but um, I'd have to imagine that she's probably been personally informed uh, about yeah, but this. She was, but according to you guys, she was told that the dog was hit by a car. That's correct. Yep, exactly. Was, now, in your investigations then that you guys did, was that the only case of, of, a, of any of his dogs or... Um, causing harm or were you specifically focusing on issues of this one dog causing harm? Uh, no, or our general relations, our, our, our investigation is pretty broad um, and it isn't the only case of, of harm that we found caused by uh, his dogs or dogs under his control um, or at least people that have alleged that they were attacked by his dogs or dogs under his control. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there's been a several lawsuits that have made similar allegations. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a few interesting questions I think involved in this case. I mean, one is about the specific attack that our client um, had to unfortunately experience, but then sort of broader questions that you've sort of raised in this discussion about the methods he uses to train and control dogs and also just general accountability and safe practices and safeguards when you're, you know, uh, in a profession where there's serious risk of, of injury, uh, you know, you have to be accountable and you have to put in the proper safeguards. And um, based on everything that we've seen and everything that we've alleged in our complaint and thus far in this litigation, it just does not look like those safeguards were in place in any meaningful way uh, in with Caesar Milan's dog training business. Like what, like what's an example of a safeguard that you uh, think should have been in place? Can you say something like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm happy to talk about safeguards. I personally think would, would be reasonable, but in a, in, in the setting of this lawsuit, that would also probably be something that I think an expert would be perfect to opine on, but just a sort of a lay person in this, you know, dogs that have a propensity for violence, I think at the very least should probably be on a leash when others are present and the leash should be either connected to someone's hand or to the ground or something like that, just to keep the dog restrained so that dogs that have a past and a, and a history of 
being violent aren't allowed to just sort of run roughshod um, around people who are lawfully on the premises, you know? Yeah, it's be, kind of, I mean, one example. I, it's, it's kind of amazing that one would need an expert to say a potentially dangerous dog should be on a leash. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's just, that's just the, my, my lay person, uh, you know, first principles of dog safety. Very interesting <laughs> idea, Brian. Exactly. But maybe you have some ideas of some, some safeguards that could have been in place as, as an expert. Is there anything you can think of that would be sort of, uh, innovative well, or, or interesting ways to protect other people from well certainly like i think if you have a dog who you know has a history of killing uh other animals there should be a lot of uh management efforts made to keep that dog from uh hurting at least other dogs if not people as well um and uh i mean i i i mean one thing that um I, if, if I can divorce the fact that the dog belonged to Caesar Milan and was trained with whatever methods from this whole issue uh, and sort of look at it in a more um, uh, just a dog attacked a person uh, way, I would wonder what, you know, the antecedents were, why he attacked her, what was, what was happening was, um, I mean, was she doing something unusual did she enter at a time when the dog was already aroused? Um, was, uh, I mean, not, not that it would be her fault at all, but if she was doing, you know, uh, backflips in the office and the dog hadn't ever seen someone doing backflips that I might understand, not, not that it would be, not that I would condone it, but I might right. understand why yeah. the dog freaked out if sure. the dog had, you know, I mean, I, I just wonder what, what was happening that caused him to attack her, but not to attack, you know, I don't know, the the FedEx guy who had um, entered the office 10 minutes before. Um, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I can assure you there were no backflips uh, <laughs> uh, being done in this incident and, and that it was completely unprovoked in terms of, you know, our client really wasn't doing anything but, but trying to I, visit I'm, her mom. But... I, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I, I guess I, I'm wondering, um, is there anything that you have gleaned about dog training from this case or other cases that you've done having to do with dog bites? You know, like you said, as, you know, someone who is is not a dog trainer, is, is sort of a, a layman in this area, um, because, you know, I have strong feelings about how um, the kinds of methods Caesar Milan uses can cause aggression in dogs. But if you had talked to me about this, you know, 10, 12 years ago before I sort of got into dog training, I think that I, I would have had no clue that the kind of work he does might actually cause aggression. Have your thoughts about training and aggression um, developed uh, or, or changed um, in your work working with dog bite victims in general or about this case specifically? Yeah, I, I don't know if they've changed so much. I guess the major takeaways that I've sort of come to realize as, again, sort of a layperson in, in all of this is that, you know, I think it's risky business not not unimportant i think you know dog training is very important but 
there are certainly risks that uh, seem to be involved when when that's what you're doing, and that's really important to um, implement proper safeguards to protect other people against dogs that if they're being trained to correct some sort of behavioral issues they're having, um, that's obviously going to be a high risk situation that sort of you as the trainer, not you specifically, but whoever the trainer is needs to sort of understand and appreciate those risks. And, you know, there's also, I know a lot of talk about, um, specific breeds being more dangerous than other breeds. And again, sort of speaking as a layperson, I don't doubt that there's probably some truth to that, but I think that whole debate gets very, I think people get generally very emotionally hijacked by that debate because, you know, like dog lovers are very um, defensive of the dog breeds that they love. And so I think you know, when discussing things like different breeds and different breeds being more dangerous than other breeds, there's obviously going to be some truth there, but also a lot of gray. And so I think, it, you know, it deserves a nuanced conversation by experts and, um, and it needs to be taken seriously and there needs to be when, accountability. When you guys search for experts for this case what are the kind of credentials that you're looking for um basically just experience at the end of the day uh i mean there is sort of legally speaking the court does some gatekeeping in terms of deciding whether or not a particular person who any party is suggesting should be testifying as an expert the court will do a, an investigation into that person um, based on their credentials to determine whether uh, there's a you know colorable claim that that person actually is an expert and not just somebody who perhaps did an online course about dog training and so they claim to be an expert. And so there are kind of legal safeguards in place to make sure whoever is claiming to be an expert is in fact an expert. And at the end of the day, um, we just want somebody who has the requisite pedigree and resume to where any potential juror out there would hear him or her discuss their qualifications and their experience and think, yeah, I trust this person to, to be uh, honest and credible and experienced enough to where I'm going to respect whatever opinion they give. And so, you know, I know it's kind of a vague lawyerly answer, but that's sort of the, the type of person we'd be looking for. And, uh, you know, well, who knows? Do you, yeah. You consider Caesar Milan an expert? Uh, I mean, again, if, if that was the, the person that the defense in this case put up as their expert, I would be pretty happy with that as the representing the plaintiff in this case, because we, I mean, number one, sort of, as you touched upon, I think he has a checkered past in, in terms of some very, vocal people who disagree with his expertise and his methods. And also he would obviously have a huge conflict of interest in, in weighing in on this case, considering he's the defendant. So, so yeah, I mean, I personally, do I consider him an expert? I, I wouldn't be taking my pug to, <laughs> to be trained by him. Um, I would probably try to look for someone else personally. So do you think his training, his training methods will be at all a conversation in this suit if it actually does end up going to court? 
I think it's completely up to them on that. So if they basically up to up to them, meaning up to the defense, whether they're going to talk about the training methods. Exactly. That that'll basically, I I imagine, more than likely, uh, will be something that they would need to sort of put at issue in the case. You know, if their claim is. Uh, Junior couldn't have, have attacked anybody because he's been trained his whole life by Caesar Milan, the dog expert, and his expertise can't be questioned. Well, then, obviously, then we're going to definitely weigh in on that and have our own experts talk about why that's, you know, not not a great defense. Um, and whether or not we'll force that as an issue, you know, never know. At trial, it's a... Uh, it's, it's a crazy, crazy system we have in terms of going to trial and suing others and anything's possible and anything's fair game. So, yeah, I think it's it's highly possible that that, that might come up down the road. Um, but 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 not a, an offensive strategy. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, he's certainly not offensive in the common vernacular of that term well i, we'll I mean try to it's be civil not, but no i mean it's not <laughs> no, your no. The, the offense is the or the the plaintiff is not the one coming forward and saying um his training methods are questionable yeah i mean at this point in time i don't think that's our most persuasive mm-hmm. argument to be honest i mean i think it's mm-hmm. an interesting question um and i think it's one that the public deserves to have uh, like I said, an honest conversation about. But, you know, in this case, I think what really matters is that the dog did, in fact, bite her. And that's really what this case is about. And, um, you know, yeah, if, again, no, if they're no denying if, that. No, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Um, uh, now, I know that uh, I, I read a little bit about one case of a dog who was resource guarding and uh, and on the TV show and ended up needing to be rehomed. And I, I don't know if that was ended up uh, in a lawsuit or not. But having watched the show, I have long suspected that, um, I mean, on the show, there's people he's trying to help who get bitten during the show. Um, and I'm guessing that those people go home and often things get worse rather than better um but are there just ironclad ndas that you would guess that people on the show are signing so that they're not returning um to him and with blame and yeah i mean so i think anything i would say on this in terms of hypotheticals would be just purely speculation but what i would say and what i you know think all of us understand intuitively is if somebody's signing up to be on his show and bringing their dogs in and you know i just think it's an entirely different situation altogether than somebody who's just visiting their mom at his office and so i would just think you know just intuitively that if if somebody who went on the show, knowing what the show is about, understanding what his methods are, understanding, especially if they've seen other people on the show who have been bitten, then their argument of assuming the risk becomes, you know, a little bit more credible, a little bit stronger, a little bit more intuitively sound. But, right, you know, when it's someone who's visiting an office building to 
to go see their mom after school. That's just an entirely different situation altogether. So, so yeah, I don't know if um, he's had to deal with any legal issues with other people who have been bitten on a show, but I do think it would be an interesting case for sure. I mean, I would, I would love to, to, to see that case or to be a part of that potential case and have that argument as to whether or not somebody can even assume the risk of being bitten by a dog like that. It's a, it's an interesting legal question, I think. Maybe it could be a class action suit because there's been a lot of episodes. <laughs> um, no, you, this is not the first dog bite case that you've worked on. Is that right? Yeah, we've did, we've done some other um, dog bite cases, uh, especially, you know, if you also include in that sort of pre-litigation dog bite cases, meaning someone who's bitten by a dog and the situation gets resolved before needing to file a complaint. You know, that's how a lot of cases, dog bite or not, get resolved. It's not always necessary to file a complaint, go to court, you know, litigation process in general is a hugely invasive process for both sides, the defense and the plaintiff. Um, so generally speaking, if somebody is a victim of an attack, um, the first goal is to get it resolved without needing to actually litigate. And usually, um, you know, most people have insurance and usually insurance companies are willing to negotiate to some extent as to whether or not they're willing to make the, the victim whole before needing to resort to the courts. And it's especially true in California. Um, you know, California has some some very, I don't want to say punitive, but very uh, victim-friendly dog bite laws that make it very hard for somebody who's in that position, uh, who owns a dog who's just bitten somebody, to sort of roll the dice and go to court and try to win that case for the defense. It's a really hard case. It's an uphill battle based on mm. California law. And so, you know, again, if <laughs> so you're, is there, Caesar, is there yeah. a good, a good state, it's a good state to get bitten in. Then. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. There's worse States to be bitten by a dog and that's, that's for sure. Um, huh. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into too much of the legal boring nitty gritty, but um, essentially California has what's called, strict liability for dog bite offenses, which just basically means if your dog bites someone, you're on the hook. You know, there are very mm. few colorable defenses you can make in court to, to that. And, um, you know, I, also another kind of interesting thing legally in law school, you sort of learn about what's called like the one bite rule, um, which is like a, just a grossly over, oversimplification of dog bite law, which basically means you get one dog bite. Your, your dog can bite one person and you're, you're clear for the first one, but you're on the hook for the second because you knew or should have known. Hmm. But that's really not the law, uh, especially not in California. And I don't even know if it's the law anywhere, but um, California has much more strict laws when it comes to dog ownership. Is there, some, is there something that particularly interests you about this area of law, or did you just kind of happen into it? I think just what interests me about <clears throat> this area of law is, is what interests me about any other area of law. And, you know, this might sound cheesy or, like, very lawyerly, but uh, I like to represent victims and make sure that victims are compensated. And, you know, like, people will use the term ambulance chaser or something as a derogatory term. And 
I've honestly never even understood why it's derogatory. If someone's in an ambulance, they've suffered some something horrible. And in my opinion, they deserve to be made whole, assuming that they weren't somehow in the wrong. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I like to make sure that people aren't going to be bullied. People aren't going to be pushed around. People aren't going to be silenced and, and that people uh, are going to be held accountable. And so if it's a dog bite, happy to take it. If it's something else where that type of scenario is uh, at play, I'm happy to take that as well. Is this the first case you've had uh, where there's a dog trainer involved? Um, it's a good question. Let me think. I think so. I would think that's probably true. I don't think any of the other dog bite cases involved a trainer per se. So for speaking for myself, I think that's probably true. Omar, uh, I can't speak for him. He's had mm-hmm. a lot of dog bite cases as well. So he maybe has had one against trainers. But for, for myself personally, I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. And have your have your views of his of Caesar Milan as a trainer changed through your work doing dog bite related uh, law? I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I don't even mean this is like a dig against Caesar Milan. I didn't really know who he was, other than that South Park included him in an episode. I think like five <laughs> years ago or something like that. So, <laughs> to be honest, I've been kind of surprised at the interest in in this case and in Caesar Milan more generally. Um, So I don't know if I had very strong views about him before this case, but, um, you know, since taking this case, I have certainly looked into and read about the different views and a lot of people who are sort of not too happy about the the types of training techniques he, he employs. And I guess my only view on it is that um, if his techniques that he employs results in people getting attacked by dogs, then I'm definitely not in favor. Okay. Well, I think that's really, it's <laughs> <laughs> a safe, that's a safe answer. I think, <laughs> I, think that, I think that that is very well said. Well, I think, I mean, I, I think you early, earlier too, you touched on, um, uh, you know, safety measures that, that could and should be put into place. And I think whatever your training methods may be, and certainly, um, you know, the training methods that I'm for are very different than what Cesar Milan, uh, uh, you know, proselytizes. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I can say uh, with, with my dog, and I, you know, like I said, I own a pug. They're very, I think, I think it's a safe, uncontroversial statement to say they're pretty docile creatures uh well, they're they're individuals i'm sure pugs have yeah sure. barely mauled people in the past at some point but go ahead i, I actually just uh, it's just kind of an aside on that like my dog is so submissive and pleasant that i couldn't even imagine like an aggressive pug and so at one point i think i like looked on youtube for just like videos of aggressive pugs because i just couldn't even like I just didn't even have a schema in my mind for what it would look like. Mm. Um, but anyway, I was going to say, again, this is just for what it's worth. I'm not a dog trainer and I'm not a dog expert. But um, I, when I was looking into how to train my dog, I know there was a lot of stuff I read about online about, you know, positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement, instead of 
giving them the stick, you give them the carrot. And that's definitely, in my personal experience, been much more um, effective. Well, I, I would, yeah, I would say, I mean, I think, you know, the carrot versus the stick, that's like maybe reductive, but it's an okay way to put it. But more than that, more than that yeah. though, I think it's about like, whatever kind of dog you're working with, if you have a dog that has any kind of behavior issues, yeah, like, like you said, you know, use a freaking leash. Um, I mean, certainly you could do muzzle training or there, there's tons of other things you could do sort of from a management perspective, but sounds like none of, none of that was put into place. But I also think the one bite, the one bite rule is, um, is interesting to hear about because um, you know, in, in any kind of, uh, whatever kind of animal you're dealing with, of course, you're, you as a teacher should be, um, learning as a teacher or trainer, whatever you want to call it, you know, learning as you go and, and one experience should inform the next experience. And, you know, there, there was someone in my family who, um, one of their dogs, uh, uh, attacked um, one of their other dogs to the point of the dog, the other dog, the, the smaller dog uh, back was broken and um, the dog needed to be put down. And, and uh, this, my family member said, well, the last time, uh, the last time she attacked him, it wasn't that bad. And I thought, I thought, you know, how, how could there have possibly been a second yeah, like how could there have possibly been the second time if you knew that this there was a possibility this could happen? Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've learned a lot. Maybe we can speak again at some point, but I, I appreciate you walking me through it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, no, I, I, I appreciate you having me on and it's been a, a great conversation. And um, yeah, I would just say if anyone out there has, you know, been uh, an unfortunate victim of, of an attack, don't don't suffer in silence. and. There are um, advocates, lawyers, and other types out there that can can help you. And so, you know, don't don't feel like um, a helpless victim in, in anything, but especially uh, a situation where you've been attacked by a dog. And uh, the if someone's an expert on TV, they might not actually be an expert. Is that another <laughs> takeaway? Uh, TV is oftentimes make believe. I think that's uh, that's a general truth that I think more people could. Could, uh, could could start truly believing. <laughs> I think that's fair. Or or believe what you see on South Park. <laughs> yeah, that episode was truly insightful. Truly, uh, <laughs> it's my my number one source for the, the pressing important issues. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Excellent. Thank you so much. School, school for the dogs. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storefortheDogs.com. And you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app. Just visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.